old-fashioned day. Somebody say it with me. Today, you, hey, baby, come up here a minute. I mean, Debbie. <clears throat> we didn't even realize this until today, but I haven't. A lot of people came up to me and they said, I didn't even know who you were. Somebody looked over at me sitting or standing here and they said, who is that over there? We won't mention any names, Shannon. <laughs> but I haven't had a beard since I was 18 years old. And, and I, I want you to hear why this is a unique day. Everybody say this is old-fashioned day. We met on an old-fashioned day service 40 years. 40 years ago, and he had a beard. And so when he was growing it, I said, okay, so we're going to have to uh, touch it up because, well, you, didn't have to <laughs> so, you know, just being a little sentimental because it's when I fell in love with him. So it's just special. But I thought this morning, you know what? I met you on an old-fashioned day service, a service that changed my life forever. And it changed mine too. old-fashioned days. I, I thought about uh, when we reflect on a day when work was hard but life was simple. When you go back and you think about that there were no iPads, no iPhones, just I declare. We had no television. We had no Xbox. We had no Bluetooth. Music was listened to on LPs. That's not a half of a nurse. <laughs> Music was listened to on LPs, and the Lone Ranger was on the radio, if you had one. You How many of you remember any of these times? It was a time when the entire family actually sat down together at a dinner table. And we talked instead of text. We communicated with each other. Entertainment was sitting outside and usually out in the yard in a circle, shelling peas or shucking corn and listening to the elders tell stories about days gone by. And as a kid, our ears would tune up and we would listen to that. And, we, and I, I was keened in on it because they were talking about characters that I had never heard of and some that I knew as they described how life was. I remember the story of my great-grandfathers. On one side of my family... My great-grandfather was a circuit rider preacher. On the other side of my family, the only thing that was known about that grandfather was that he rode into town one day on a horse. Nobody knew where he came from. Even my mother didn't know, and that was her grandfather. Nobody knew where he came from. He rode into town one day on a horse. They didn't know where he came from, didn't know his, the extent of his family. And my mom always said, I wished I'd known more about him. So then my great-grandfathers gave me my grandpas. Everybody say grandpa. On one side of the family, my grandpa chewed. 
and had a spittoon. And he was a, he was a great, uh, he, he loved God and was, I think, Southern, not Southern Baptist. He was Baptist. And we, we go to church. About the only time I went to church was when we would drive down from Chicago and, and, and go to church with them. And that wasn't very often, maybe a handful of times. My other grandfather, and these were stories that were told to me about him, was a moonshiner. He made shine in the woods, and he had a man hanging from a tree. And the only reason the guy lived was because grandma came running out and yelled at him, cut him down, cut him down. And so he cut him down. And Well, man, you had a rough group of folks, didn't you? Let me tell you something. That same grandfather later found Christ. And the man that used to be in the woods making shine now could be heard through the entire holla praising God. He'd go out into the woods and begin to pray and, and call and cry out to God for family. Things change when you bring Jesus into the center of your world, don't they? I thought about how that family was important then in those days, and it seems like that sometimes all we have are bits and pieces of that, remnants left, if you will, patchwork from yesterday, a patchwork of the past, which brings me to this quilt. I thought about, this is my... pulpit now. I thought about how the quilts are valued even today. How many of you would like to have this quilt? If I, if I were to give this away, someone would kill me. <laughs> Karen's looking at the back. You better not give that away. That, because they mean something. These quilts are a patchwork of our past. The remnants, bits and pieces of it. If you don't recognize that, let me show you something. Because you see, all these squares are from clothing articles that somebody used to wear. It represents who they were. It's a piece of them or a patch of them, and as I look, I, and I did not do this, so don't blame me. Some of these are torn. Some are tattered. I, I saw that, and there was some more over here where it's like they've suffered hardship, and you can see the rip there. That's, that's just a fragment of what used to be there, and as I begin to think about that, and I, I thought about the, our lives, and we looked to family, and somehow looking to the past, we wanted to know more about our history so we could figure out who we are and what are we here for. And as you begin to look at the patchwork in quilts and 
You see, the, whoever made this quilt, I promise you, could come up to you right now and point out, well, this here, this here was Uncle Charlie's shirt over here, and, and, and that was Aunt Jane's dress right there. She used to wear it every Thanksgiving over here. Well, we don't like to talk about them. They know what that piecework is, what that patchwork is. And I discovered something this week when I turned to the book of Matthew. In the first chapter of Matthew, I started to see God's patchwork. It's the history of the family. And it all starts out, and it starts out very, very ordinary. It says that Abraham begat or begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and, and, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Just straightforward. But then all of a sudden, something changes. Something happens in verse 3, and in verse 3, it makes this statement. Are, are you able to pull that? In verse 3, it says, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And I thought, well, wait a minute now. What, what's going on? Before, it's just he begot him, and he begot him, and he begot him. There was no mention of wives, no mention of other children other than his brothers because there were 12 tribes. But here, it stops, and it begins to take a detour. There's a side road here. If you will, it's because there's some patchwork that's going on. And if you don't know the story, let me share it with you for a moment because this is what I want you to get today. I want you to understand that God's plan in your life is not dependent on your perfection, but his plan in your life is dependent on him, on his perfection, on what he can do and not what you can do. As a matter of fact, God sometimes saves us in spite of our Selves. Judah. What's special about Judah? Anybody know? Let me give you a hint. No, he didn't have an upset stomach. Thank you. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Somehow Judah would be related he would be used to describe Christ and but when you look at this man he has here's how this story plays out Judah has two sons well three sons but his first son's name is Ur the second one is Onan and the third one is Sheila and Ur marries a girl by the name of Tamar but Ur's messed up as a matter of fact Ur will not turn to God he flies in the face of God the Bible said that God saw that he was evil and he took him. And Tamar had been exposed to that evil. Don't think her life was special or was, was privileged. She lived in a household that was ruled and reigned by evil. According to law, if a woman lost her husband, then the brother had to step in and marry her and have children by her for his brother. So Anne Onan is called upon to marry Tamar, and he marries her, and 
he goes in for the honeymoon. Everybody say he's all about the feel good. See, sometimes if we're not careful, church to us is just about the feel good. Sometimes it's just about, ooh, I felt, I felt him. I, but what about living for him? It's not just, see, God isn't interested in you just feeling good or having an emotional high. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to love him. If you will, what God wants is a relationship with you. Onan didn't want a relationship. He just wanted to feel good. He went into her. They consummate the marriage, but before he produces a child, the Bible said that he spilled his seed on the ground. And the Bible said that what he did displeased God. And God took him. Because God's not going to let you play games when it comes to relationship. He wants your relationship with him to produce. How many of you met folks that would come in on a Sunday and, wow! And Monday, you better get out of my face now. You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, it's, it's like, extremes it's almost like you know dr jekyll and mr hyde and and that's not what god intended and god's real serious when it comes to relationship so now here's tamar and judah's looking at her and he's going you know what man i mean he didn't say this to her but he's got to be thinking it you're bad news lady two of my boys married you and both of them are dead now, by law, he's supposed to give her the third son, and he tells her, he said, well, you wait until he's old enough, and then I'll call you. But he doesn't ever plan on calling her. He's, he, he tears her phone number up, and she didn't even have one. He's not going to communicate with her, and she realizes it after a while, and here she is, used and abused and forgotten. Anybody ever felt that way? Used? abused and forgotten and so she does something drastic she takes off her garments of widowhood and she dresses up like a hooker like a prostitute she knows that Judah is taking care of his sheep in a place and she goes and positions herself at a road where prostitutes were known to hang out. If you don't want to get yourself in trouble, don't hang out in places that get you in trouble. <laughs> Judah comes walking by and he sees her and she's decked out and, hey, handsome, how you doing? He walks up and says, how much? And she said, he, he said, she said, well, what do you got? Make, make me an offer. And he said, well, I'll give you a, a goat from my flock. And she said, well, you ain't got no goat with you. And he said, well, I'll, I'll get one. I'll send it to you. She said, well, what are you going to give me until you get that goat? He said, well, what do you want? And she said, give me your signature. The, the, it was like a mark that they would use that was their mark. The cord that it hung on and the staff that you carry, let me have those. And so the transaction takes place. 
he goes into her and she becomes with child. And she goes back and puts on her widow's garment and he takes off and he gets that goat and sends back down to that part of town and nobody can find her. His servant starts asking around and nobody's even heard of her. And he said, well, I'm not going to keep sending people down there. I'm going to look like an idiot. And so he just forgets about it. And then something happens. About three months later, somebody comes up to him and says, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. She's with child. And this godly man said, bring her out and burn her. And she sent something to him. She said, I'm with child by the man whose these belong to. And she sent out his signet on the cord and his staff. And he looked and he said, she's been more righteous than I have. This whole sordid mess. So he... He puts her away. He doesn't have any more relationships with her, but now she's produced. And in those days, they didn't feel worth unless they produced. And so inside her, they're twins. And and, and that's where the, those names come out, Perez and Zerah. And, and all of a sudden, the, the first child reaches out of the birth canal with his wrist and the nursemaid ties a scarlet thread on the wrist and all of a sudden the, the hand disappears and it's pulled back and and then the brother comes out and she looks and she said how in the world did this happen and and she calls him Perez and said because he broke forth and Zara comes out with a string on his wrist and guess who's in the family line with Jesus not Zara but Perez, the brother that said, I've stayed here long enough and I'm getting ready to break out of what's been holding me back. You need to hear what I'm saying today. It's time to pick up your feet high enough so God can throw the devil under them and he can show you that he's still king even in the midst of your mess. So then the family. I, I guarantee you, if you look back far enough, there's something like that in your family tree. You've got some horse thieves in there somewhere. You may have a train robber in there. You may have somebody in there that look like me. But it's not all sunshine and roses, folks. And so then it starts back again. He begot this one, and, he, and it's an ordinary process, and then it happens again. The next time it shows up, it says that Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. So there's a pause, and a woman's name is mentioned again. And I thought, why? Well, we all know that story, right? Boaz is the kind-hearted man, the man that when Ruth came back from Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi, that he showed her kindness. She was a foreigner, and Jews had nothing to do with foreigners, they, but he showed her kindness. He said, you come and glean in my field, and that was simply a term that meant you can gather wheat behind my harvesters. And he said, you, you come and glean in my field and you'll be safe there. And he went and he told his men, he said, I want you to make sure that she's protected. 
I want, because in those days, man, I mean, you talk about the bad part of town. You get in a, a young girl in a field by herself with a bunch of guys, and she's looking for trouble. He said, you protect her. Now, I want you to make sure that at lunchtime, you give her some food and, and you make sure that she's got plenty to drink. As a matter of fact, I want you, while you're gathering the harvest, I want you to drop some handfuls of wheat on purpose for her to pick up. He's taking care of her. And then he marries her. Why? He's not the closest to Ken. As a matter of fact, the closest to Ken says, I'm not going to marry her because she's going to mess up my inheritance. Isn't it odd that for the other person, it was all about him. But for Boaz, it was about her. Why? To discover the reason, you need to look at where Boaz came from. Who he is. See, the verse right before that says that Solomon... Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. And there it is. His mother was a hooker. His mother had been a prostitute in Jericho. But when the spies came in, she hid those spies and she cried out to them and she said, we've heard about this God of yours and how he rolled back the Red Sea and I'm asking you to show me kindness. And do you understand that that's what God is looking for? A heart that's searching for him, one that's reaching for him. And so Rahab, instead of being destroyed in Jericho, becomes in the line of Christ. No wonder Boaz is kind to Ruth. Because he knew mama's story. And he knew how much mama loved him. And he was going to show that love to someone else. Piecework and patchwork of days gone by. Remnants and stories of love and, and stories of tragedy. Stories of hope and stories of despair if we're not careful what we end up doing is we end up concentrating on these individual pieces of fabrics and we we've we've lost the big picture all we're seeing is oh look Rahab was over here and, and there was Tamar over here and look at that one over there and look look down here what this one did and we get caught up with looking at each other but something wonderful happens when you step back to see the big picture and when you see the big picture you see a star and a star lit up a night sky and in that moment there was a promise that was fulfilled Emmanuel God with us and so when you get down to verse 16 what you find out is a man by the name of Joseph but Joseph the wording is not Joseph begot Jesus that's the way the wording had followed all the way through until it gets to that last verse and there it says that Joseph was the husband of Mary's wife I mean of Mary's. Joseph was the husband of Mary that gave birth to Christ. You see, Jesus can't be Joseph's son. 
because Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> Emmanuel, God with us. And because God is with us, God can put us together. <laughs> because God is with us, God takes, takes the patchwork and, and all the pieces and the remnants of a life that we feel like is destroyed and has no hope and oh you don't know you don't know what I've done and you don't know where I've been oh you don't know my God you don't understand how he can take all these pieces that seem to be torn and tattered and when he gets done with it he creates something of beauty that's why this is so priceless not because it's in perfect condition but because somebody took the condition it was in and made a perfect picture. <laughs> do you understand what God wants to do in your life? He wants to take those pieces and put them all together again. Would you stand with me? Years ago, there was a lady that the Lord spoke to and the Lord told her, I want you to rewrite Mother Goose nursery rhymes. I think her name was Mary Decker. I can't remember for sure, but I had the book. And she thought, God, what do you mean rewrite Mother Goose nursery rhymes? And she tried to push it away, but she couldn't. It just kept coming stronger and stronger to her. Rewrite the Mother Goose nursery rhymes. So one day she picked up a book of Mother Goose nursery rhymes, looked at it and said, Mother Goose, it's time you got saved. And so she rewrote Mother Goose Nursery Rhymes. She wrote about Mary's little lamb. She wrote about, she took these nursery rhymes and turned them to a gospel. But the one that caught one little boy's attention, Mother had bought the book and was reading to him, and he fell in love with Humpty Dumpty. And he wanted her to read Humpty Dumpty over and over again. And this is how that nursery rhyme went. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But Humpty Dumpty shouted amen because he knew Jesus could put him together again. Every night she would read and he says, what do you want me to read to you tonight? Read Humpty Dumpty. Oh, I've read that to you every night. Oh, please, Mama, you can read anything else, but read Humpty Dumpty. So here she'd go again. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, but Humpty Dumpty shouted amen because he knew Jesus could put him together again. Week after week, month after month, she read those nursery rhymes, Humpty Dumpty, to that little boy night after night. One day, when the boy was out walking, he was attacked by a dog. The dog crushed the bones in the boy's face. He viciously mauled the boy. The mother was with him in the hospital room, and the doctor came in and took her into the hallway. And the boy's face was wrapped in bandages, and they didn't realize he was hearing their conversation. Out in the hallway, the doctor held the mother's hand and said, I'm sorry. We've done everything we can do. He said, but the bones are crushed. And he said, he's too young to try and do reconstructive surgery with because his bones are not yet done growing. There's, I'm sorry, but there's just nothing we can do. 
she walked back into that room and she was looking at the her son tears streaming down her face and the little boy called to her out of the bandages and said mama she turned to hide her face and she started wiping her tears and she said yes son he said mama Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall Mama, you know, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, but Mama Humpty Dumpty shouted amen because he knew Jesus could put him together again. Mama, Jesus can put me together again too. And she said, yes, she can. So, yes, she can. They prayed. I believe it was eight weeks. It was either six or eight weeks later. That boy was on national television. There wasn't a scar on his face. God had put him together again. My friend, it doesn't matter what kind of shape your life is in. The Prince of Patchwork is in the building today. He's able to take and heal you. Put you back together if you'll let him. There's no pit that's so deep God can't reach into and pull you out. No trauma so horrific that he can't breathe peace into. No. Living for God doesn't mean you're not going to face trouble and trial. What it means is this. You'll never, ever face it alone. And whatever you're going through, somehow he'll work it in. And in a few years or months or at the end of your life, you're going to look back and say, wow. I never knew God could make something so beautiful out of so many fragments and tears in my life. You ready for it to happen for you? This is old-fashioned day. So we're just going to have an old-fashioned altar call. I'm going to ask you, if you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I've got some stuff I need God to work out. You know what I don't like to hear are people telling me, well, when I get this worked out, I'm going to go to God. You're going to spend the rest of your life trying to work it out because the devil wants to make sure you never take it to God. But if you make up your mind right here, right now, that I'm taking all my pieces, all my fragments to Jesus, when he's done, you'll have something you can treasure for the rest of your life. Are you ready? They sing this song right now. I'm gonna ask you to come. I'm only going to count to three. If you're not down here by three, well, Pastor, you're kind of rushing me, aren't you? How long does it take you to get to the dinner table when you're hungry? I mean, if you're hungry, you're going to come. Are you ready? One. Stretch your hands to heaven and thank God as they come right now. Just stretch your hands up to heaven all across this place. When, when you walked up here, look at me just a second, because when you walked up here, this is the word that I heard 
was confirmation. And I don't even know what that means, but you do. God loves it when we bring our tattered pieces to him. Remember my brother that was up here a minute ago, I can't remember your name, I'm going to call you Abe. Talked about the mess his life with it. I promise you, when he was on the streets of New York, he never dreamed one day he'd be standing in a church service dressed as Abraham Lincoln, giving God praise for what he'd done in his life. If you would have told him that, he would have just thought you were high and just kept on going. But you need to know that God has divine appointments and that one of them is right here, right now. So this isn't about me touching you. This is about you touching him and saying, here I am, God. I want you to stretch your hands to heaven. I don't want you to wait for my touch. I want you to touch him. Old-fashioned prayer meeting. Old-fashioned crying out to God. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. He's not a figment of your imagination. He's a reality in this present world. And he wants to touch your situation right now. Church, stretch your hands toward them as they sing this song. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your this house and love him right now.
I'm free. down here say it free free come on and give me a hand clap of praise in this house you love him right now oh come on you can do better than that he's worthy he's worthy he's worthy I'm free before you leave here take a good look at this patchwork and remember it came from remnants garments that had been cast away and somebody saw a treasure in that garment God sees a treasure in you let him work it out in your life so you can become a testimony to his grace amen come on praise him one more time we're going to pray she's having stretch your hands toward our sister would you she's having surgery tomorrow father we know that you can do that surgery even now God, we just ask your hand on her, Father. Keep her, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, don't get too close. Do you love him? You love him? That's what I want you to do. You go, you reach out and get a hold of somebody and say, I want some of that old-fashioned Holy Ghost, old-time religion. Well, hold it. Get rid of the religion part and say relationship. Amen. Come on, give one more hand clap of praise. We're going to pray for the food here. Immediately following dinner is at the Life Center. There's smoked chicken, fried chicken, pulled pork, hamburgers, hot dogs, something for everybody. We'll see you over there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today, for your love and your mercy. We ask the blessing over the food there. Bless it to our bodies. Bless us as we go out and remind us that we've been made the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And every tear in our life is a patchwork quilt that you're knitting together for your grace and glory. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Stop!